in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them suckers like the f***ing players. Kelsey Plum and Jackie Young of your Las Vegas Aces won a gold medal. Team USA three on three beat the Russians in the gold medal game this morning. They also won a semifinal game against France this morning as well. So now Kelsey Plum and Jackie Young have more gold medals than their head coach, Bill Lambeer. I think the next thing that the Olympics should do is look to other sports practice drills to make them into metal activities. You don't like three like, on three? Get out I'm of here. I'm trying to imagine like we could have uh we could have an Oklahoma drill gold medal uh from football. Ooh. Uh maybe we could have some sort of a pepper championship from baseball, right? Like I think these things have potential to uh to be serious competitions that the entire world should train for and win a medal for. I'm pretty sure Oklahoma drill in the Olympics would be like one of the five most watched sports in the Olympics. Without question. (laughs) Watching a big Russian guy. I think that would be unbelievably popular if we had the Oklahoma drill. I actually loved every minute of watching the USA women play three on three. I, Adam, I am curious, like you, what are your thoughts? Because some of the rules in there are fun. Like you can play defense. Even after you make a shot, you can play defense on the opponent while they have to clear the ball back to the three point line. I think that's great. I all the scoring system of it makes it to where you should absolutely never shoot a mid-range jumper because it's ones and twos, not twos and threes. And I'm pretty sure you should just game the system and only ever shoot threes because if you shoot 33% from three, you have to shoot 66% on your twos to match that. So I'm pretty sure if you just got like three guys that could shoot 40%, that should be your only offense that you should never even dribble inside the arc. It's way too early in the morning for me to be dealing with you doing the math. Three on three math. Three on three Let's basketball. go. I, I loved it. I uh, loved every no. minute of it. The other thing that's great is you really should never foul because so it's by ones and twos. But if you as a team, if you foul seven times, the other team gets two shots, which is ridiculous, even if you fell on the floor. And then as a team, if you foul 10 times, which the Russians did this morning against the U.S., you get two shots and the ball. Like, it's great because they're basically saying, hey, if you foul, you're a moron, and we're going to punish you harshly for it. It's phenomenal. I love the quirky rule changes. Three on three is great. I don't know why everybody hates it so much, including you. uh, uh, No, I don't hate it. I just, (laughs) I'm just not interested at all. It just doesn't exist. Like, it's fine. Good for you. I I mean, you want to meddle in it, and and congratulations. I think the point for me is when it comes to how they re-represent this game because you're essentially taking some sort of either a practice game or a playground game and turning it into a medal ceremony winning I don't know whatever I, it's it's all kind of blurry to me but the the idea of being able to play defense after you make the shot just anybody who's ever played a game like out at Sunset Park do you understand the fights that would have started <laughs> if you allowed this do you understand how quickly hands would have been thrown if you were playing defense on someone when they were trying to clear the ball or just check it back oh my god would have been great see we need more of that in life no oh you know i can't tell you that according to jason stark eight teams are in on max scherzer 
Dodgers, Giants, Padres, Red Sox, Rays, Blue Jays, Astros, Mets. Uh, the Also in that report is that Scherzer is unlikely to okay a trade to the New York Yankees, who checked in as well. The other part of the reporting is that Scherzer prefers one of those NL West teams, Dodgers, Giants, and Padres. He can veto a trade, so he does have control here over where he would ultimately end up playing. I know yesterday you said it doesn't make any sense for the Nationals to hold on to Max Scherzer. So it's Wednesday. Trade deadline is on Friday. Where do you think Max Scherzer ends up? John Heyman reporting that it could be done as soon as tonight and that all three of those West Coast teams in the National League are going to make a huge push and that this could turn into quite the haul back for the Washington Nationals because of that. Uh, I think Max Scherzer should end up in San Francisco. Uh, If you're the Giants and you have put this season together out of spare parts and duct tape, and you look at the opportunity here to go win a world championship when the American League is weak, when the Dodgers are injured, when the Padres are injured and not playing up to expectations. If you're the Giants and you can add a true number one starter to what has already been a strange witch's brew that's worked out, I think it should be San Francisco that goes and gets it done. Who do I think gets it done? How do you bet against the Dodgers and the prospects that they have and the money they're willing to spend? I do love that we... like. The best baseball games we've seen this year, like it's Dodgers and Padres has been phenomenal. Dodgers and Giants have been very good this year too, but maybe the best part of the entire season is if there truly is a three-team bidding war between three teams in the same division for the best starting pitcher at the trade deadline. Like that, that's phenomenal. If if this is what's actually happening, if those three teams are all bidding against each other, like greatest division race we've ever seen. And the fact of the matter is that one of them is going to be wrong and Max Scherzer could potentially be wrong yeah. because one of these teams is not going to the playoffs. Like you're going to one of these teams is going to get into the wild card and lose. So, you know, there's a little bit of calculus to be done on both sides of this deal. I don't care about your next question. All but 4 or 5 Raiders players have been vaccinated according to John Gruden. Also the entire coaching staff has been vaccinated. After last season, when they were the most fined team in the NFL for COVID-19 protocol violations, I think we got to give a lot of credit to the Raiders because they have been probably one of the best, if not the best, in the NFL at getting as many players, as many coaches as possible vaccinated because all coaching staff vaccinated and all but four or five is pretty phenomenal numbers for a team to have as far as vaccination rates. With where we are in the world today, backsliding on COVID, I am not about to drag anybody for getting it done. You get it done, you get it done. That being said, I don't know how much influence the workplace has on it versus the preferences of the individual person. Uh, and if the Raiders have been able to, in some way, push that to make it happen, then then good on them because the debacle of last year and how they dealt with it, and not just how they dealt with it, but John Gruden's indignance around all of it uh, certainly was a bad look. Where's his crush the virus shirts? He had them last year when they weren't crushing the virus. They're actually doing something good this year. We need to crush the virus shirts back. Uh, Unfortunately, those were uh, dealt away with Rodney Hudson. What did they get? A sixth round pick? Is that why it was a sixth and not a seventh? Yeah. Well, no, no. They actually could have. They could have gotten a fifth, but six plus the shirts was enough for Arizona. Next question. Randall Cobb is heading back to Green Bay. This is this is the dumbest thing in this entire situation. 
that Aaron Rodgers, one of the concessions he wanted was Randall Cobb coming back, but it's actually going to happen. He's going to be traded from the Texans back to Green Bay. I just, I this is dumb. Like, it makes no sense. Is Randall Cobb even good anymore? Um, is that <laughs> Why does Aaron Rodgers want him so badly? He's his friend. Uh, look, here's here's what we're talking about. Um, this is basically an episode of Chappelle's show. Like th- this is making the band with Chappelle's show, where Diddy comes on and makes all of the contestants go through ridiculous things, and then at one point he's like, "The only way I'm letting you back in the studio is if you go get me fresh Cambodian breast milk." And basically, Aaron Rodgers walked in and said, go get me some fresh Cambodian breast milk. Well, okay. Where is um, Jake Kumaro? So one of the other funny parts about this during the offseason were the reports that Aaron Rodgers talked up Jake Kumaro one training camp and then the Packers cut him the next day and how Aaron Rodgers didn't like that. They got to go get Jake Kumaro back now, right? He's with the Bills. Why hasn't Jake Kumaro been traded to Green Bay already? I mean, why not get Greg Jennings? Right? Uh, what you know? Why not bring back Mark Chamura? Oh, wait. There's definitely a good reason not to do that. Wow. Sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Nate Schmidt has been traded to Winnipeg for a third round pick, which is the same that the Golden Knights got for Nate Schmidt last off season. He apparently wanted out of Vancouver. He waived a uh, no-trade clause to go to Winnipeg. The Nate Schmidt uh, lifestyle here, though, the downgrades from Vegas to Vancouver to Winnipeg is is pretty stark in less than a year. That, by the way, is the most Adam Hill take that you have ever had on this show with the way the man hates Winnipeg. Uh, He goes to a better (laughs) hockey team, that's for sure. Uh, do you think there's any coincidence here, Tyler, in the fact that Nate Schmidt just made the greatest catch in the history of Las Vegas ballpark and that he was just acquired by a new team? Do you think you have the authority to say that was the best catch in the history of Las Vegas ballpark? Do you think we have the authority to say any of the things we say on this show? No, not at all. That's a good point. No. Um, what, so you're saying that Winnipeg wanted him or Vancouver is like, this guy's too reckless. We got to get him out of here. No, that Winnipeg was okay. turned on by this. That Winnipeg was like, hey, we thought Nate Schmidt was good before, but look at this athleticism. Well, if you're Vancouver, you got to be sending that video to Winnipeg saying a third. You guys got to give us a first for this guy. Absolutely. I love it. By the way, the reception that Nate Schmidt got from <laughs> the Las Vegas fans when he first came out of the dugout at that game and the love that he showed for the Las Vegas fans. I mean, Alex Petrangelo is going to have to make 17 more Honda commercials <laughs> to get the goodwill that uh, Nate Schmidt has already. Happy to move on to the, to the next question here, Aaron. Alex Ovechkin has signed a five-year deal worth $9.5 million per season with the Washington Capitals. He is going to be 36 years old this year. He can realistically pass Wayne Gretzky for the all-time goal-scoring record. Now he's going to have to average over 30 goals per game for all five years of this deal. So he's going to have to be averaging, you know, over 30 goals per game when he is in his 40s to do it. But I think he's got a legitimate shot to actually run that record down. 
Well, if he scores 30 goals per game, as you said Did twice. Did I say per game? Then, well, you know, that would help too. 30 goals per game, I think he's going to get there. That's just, <laughs> I mean, that's a little speculation on my part. But at 30 goals a game, I think he gets there. Um, yeah, I mean, look. I think there's going to be a temptation to look at this like the Kobe Bryant contract at the end where you gave him the legacy deal when he couldn't play anymore. Uh, Alex Ovechkin can still play. And Alex Ovechkin's going to get that record. Like, I, I have no doubt that what we've seen in terms of the longevity and the success of Alex Ovechkin and the fact that we watched him essentially try to wreck his body in every way possible <laughs> after the 2017 Stanley Cup Finals and be unsuccessful in doing it, he's clearly indestructible. I'm out. The Avalanche and Gabriel Landeskog agreed on an eight-year extension. $7 million is the average annual value there for Gabriel Landeskog. Seems like a pretty good deal for the Colorado Avalanche. He's not obviously Nathan McKinnon, but, you know, that's Max Pacioretty money, and Landeskog fits sort of in that realm, if not better than Max Pacioretty. Well, he's the actual captain of the team, so you would think that uh, he does fit pretty darn well there. So, yeah, the Max Pacioretty uh, number makes sense. The rumor that had been out there was seven years at that term, so obviously the concession was more on term than on money and getting the eighth year. And yeah, if you're Colorado, you obviously look, you got a lot to deal with here, right? Like you have Kale McCarr having just gotten his extension. You're going to have to pay a bunch of people here before too long. So getting Landeskog on what is an expensive but reasonable deal. I mean, you'll deal with a couple of years at the end that might not look all that pretty. He is uh, 28 years old. Why does it feel like Gabriel Landeskog has been playing hockey for like two decades? Well, he has actually, because you do have to start young to make the NHL. <laughs> All right, coming up next, Jared has a montage from Mark Andre Fleury. You we gotta need be a looking montage. forward to this. This is the press box from the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Vegas Golden Knights select goaltender Mark Andre Fleury. Shot goes wide. That one from Jakob Larson. Ends up in the far corner. Kicks out in front of shot. Save. Flurry came out to cut off the angle. Point blank range from Sam Steele. But Flurry stoned him. Ten days ago, Flurry won the Stanley Cup for the third time with the Penguins. Pressed into duty to start the 2017 Stanley Cup playoffs. Leaves the Pittsburgh Penguins. He becomes a member of the Vegas Golden Knights. Neal goes out to the right circle, curls around to the slot, it's poked off his stick. Myers rushes ahead, the big defenseman down the slot, he shoots, fought off by Fleury! But the story is Marc-Andre Fleury, a three-time Stanley Cup champion who has only ever played for one team in the National Hockey League until now. Knifley knocked over in front, McNabb defending. Feet to the left, and a sliding stop, rebound, diving save, Fleury! Two miraculous stops in a row, and the Knights clear it! You have a standing ovation. You have the crowd screaming your name already. Describe your emotions at this moment. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't expect that. You know, that's a little, uh, a little crazy, but uh, obviously really excited. You know, to uh, to get this started. You know, with, uh, to be you know, doing so well tonight here, and uh, the fans and the community behind us. I think will be uh, will be fun. Well, congratulations, Mark. We look forward to seeing you in this new Vegas Golden Knights uniform. Champion Mark Andre Fleury headed to the Vegas Golden Knights. Having got the you know 
Las Vegas behind us, you know, getting people to like hockey and sort of something to do what it did, and it's been uh, it's a lot of fun. You like hearing flurry, flurry? Yeah, I like to think that they like me a lot, you know, that's why they're <laughs> yelling my name so much. Just wide. Wheeler takes over once again. Stop. Shifley, one timer. Great save. Another shot. Another save by Mark Andre Fleury. Shifley in the sweet spot. Couldn't get this one to go thanks to the flower. Uh, I guess you guys will be stuck with me for a little uh, longer. Uh, I just signed a three year extension. I'm really excited about it. My family and I really uh, love Vegas. Um, the organization, my teammates, and I uh, feel very. Uh, blessed to, to have this opportunity to keep playing in front of you guys for a few more years. And now the puck back to center. He got a stick on it. McKayev into the offensive zone. Rush shot off the crossbar. Rebound! And a diving save by Fleury! What a stop! Diving across the goal line to Rob Patan! For me and Flower has been really good this year. You know, we yeah, between intermissions, before games, after games, we've been our biggest supporters, both of, both of us. And, um, you know, he's ha had a great year. He's Hall of Fame goalie, uh, one of the best of all time. He's obviously, um, how many records he broke this year, was very, very happy for him. Out in front, Renton and shoots, Flurry the save, came out, challenging Renton and shot. Huge save for Mark Andre. He might win the Vesna. He's been that good and has carried the mail here for the Vegas Golden Knights most of the season. Gambrell to the net for Shemilevsky, and he couldn't deflect it in. Talk about keeping your energy. Flurry wants this shutout at the end of the game as well. Kolasar in front, a shot by Wablock. And the clock is going to run down, and the Vegas Golden Knights, backed up by Mark Andre Flurry, will shut out the Sharks' sixth shutout of the season for Flurry, I, I didn't think I was going to reach Roberto and, um, and I'm pretty, uh, pretty honored right, to, to have the chance to, uh, to play enough and play on a, such a great team that allowed me to, uh, to catch him. He's a great person to, to have on your team because um, especially if you're a young guy, you, you really see what uh, type of an opportunity it is to, to be able to play in the NHL. And when you see a guy like him being able to, to do it day in and day out and always bringing um, you know, 100% enthusiasm and effort in practice, it, it's pretty remarkable. Stripped at the line, here's Suzuki, works ahead one-on-one, -on -one, goes right circle, trying to cut around Theodore, and a loose puck, kick save! Suzuki reached back around to his right, Flurry was ready for it. And the winner of the Vezina Trophy, Mark Andre Fleury from the Vegas Golden Knights. Congratulations, Mark Andre. 17 season, over five, almost 500 wins, three Stanley Cups, and now a Vezina. What's your secret to be able to play at this high level? time in Vegas, it's uh, incredible uh, the moments that uh, we shared with him as part of our organization. He was the most uh, popular player I've ever seen in sports. He was the face of the franchise. When you uh, think back to how it all began, the storybook for a season, the passion that he has for the game as, uh, as both a teammate and a 
player that's uh, connected to the fan base. I want to recognize uh, his uh, great accomplishments. Thank him for his time for his time here. First off, Jared, how long was that? Six minutes. All right. You put that together yesterday. Uh, very, very long. Is that the longest montage you've ever done? I believe the Khalil Mack one was eight minutes. Oh, my God. Why but, did we do that? But that was also because there was a large group of... We had so many people saying the Raiders will never trade Khalil Mack. <laughs> then they traded Khalil Mack. I actually left out several people in the Khalil Mack one. <laughs> and then... The other thing, just to point out, that is very off-brand. Yeah. There yeah, were no jokes in there. Wasn't yeah. a single joke. That was nice. Like, Golden Knights fans are actually going to like... Well, Flurry's gone, but they're actually going to like that. Well, I mean, it's sort of like the text message I got from my sister where it's like, I know you dislike him, and it's like, I didn't. I don't dislike him. I just think that he was overrated for as much love as these people gave him. But there is Jared's six-minute montage from Marc-Andre Fleury and then following it up less than 45 seconds later by saying he is overrated, thus undoing any of the goodwill you might have earned by making a six-minute montage for Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, Adam, you got to take a six-minute break. Did you enjoy that? What do you mean a six-minute break? I was locked in on that. <laughs> uh, I wanted to see what Jared put together and when we were going to flip around on Marc-Andre Fleury there. Turns out the real heel turn didn't come until after the montage. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, actually, the heel turn is that there never was a heel turn. The heel turn is that something Jared made was actually nice. Yeah. I mean, look, anytime the two of you show that, you know, you, you want to be nice to somebody, I'm both... I don't know, heartened and concerned. I'm not listen, I'm not taking any this is all Jared. I did listen to it and say, yes, we can play that, but I'm this is all Jared. This is all Jared being nice. Yeah, on his I, own. yeah, I'm yeah, I'm I'm well aware of that. I said anytime either of you does something, I'm not saying you were involved okay. in this. I'm just saying if you say something positive about someone in general, I assume you're trying to get unblocked on Twitter. Oh, I don't want to be unblocked on Twitter. Well, do I want to be unblocked by Alan Walsh? I mean, I do now. Yeah, I think I do too. Just because it's like, well, people have to send me the screenshots of his tweets. It's a whole, it's a whole mess. So I think I do want. To, you're right. I need to say nice things about Alan Walsh. Can we send that to Alan Walsh, Jared? Do you think he'll unblock me? I mean, we can send it to whoever. I don't. I I genuinely don't know what to do with it now. Like it's been played, and now I'm like, well, that was too. Like that was like six hours of my time yesterday. Well spent. Well spent. Um. Adam, I have very good news for you uh, who hated on Brad Hunt earlier in the show. Brad Hunt's going to get signed by the Vancouver Canucks. Yay. I did not hate on Brad Hunt earlier in the show. Yay. I pointed out that in the history of the Vegas Golden Knights, there is a slight difference in terms of the contribution to the franchise between Brad Hunt and Marc-Andre Fleury. That is absolutely debatable. But the Canucks are going to announce today, according to Rick Diwali, that they are signing Brad Hunt, which means we're going to get to see Brad Hunt multiple times in Vegas. Brad Hunt is like, he's he's got to be one of the like, well, he barely played, so not like favorite, but like one of like the best guys that's ever played for the Golden Knights, just like Marc-Andre Fleury. They're the same. They're like the same guy. I feel like if Technically Correct had an alternate name, it would have been absolutely debatable. <laughs> that actually might have been a better name. Absolutely debatable. Uh, yeah, Brad Hunt, Marc-Andre Fleury. They're kind of the same to me. I think if Flurry gets a statue, Brad Hunt should probably get one too. 
You know what? This kind of goes back to that. Uh, this will be a slightly more relatable than my last uh, TV reference. Uh, this one goes back to that old episode of Cheers where Cliff basically wins the entire game on Jeopardy. Then he can't figure out how the people in the last uh, clue are connected. And he says, who are three people who have never been in my kitchen? Like, like that's pretty well the way you're connecting Brad, uh, Brad Hunt and Marc-Andre Fleury here. I've never seen Cheers, but I appreciate that guy's effort. Yeah. Coming up next, Jason Fitz joins the show. Aaron Rodgers is unimpressed with him, but we aren't. It's time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Okay, I do not have any idea what happens like every other time we try to have Jason Fitz on the show, but for some reason, Jared called him, it goes straight to voicemail, and now Jason is trying to call us. I don't, I don't, this, this has happened way too many times, and I don't understand why. So, we don't have Jason Fitz at the moment. Granted, I'm texting him at the moment as we're trying to get him on the phone. I don't know why this is so difficult. And it only happens with Jason, too. It's absurd that it only happens with Jason Fitz and not another guest that we have. Not another single guest that we have does this ever happen. But Jason Fitz should be joining us in just a second. Jason, are you there? I am here. How are you guys? Why, why does this always happen with you? Why, why does I have, this always... I have no idea. Well... You know, first and foremost, uh, reception is a gift, not a right, apparently, when you own a cell phone, according to my major carrier, that I won't say because I don't want you guys to get in trouble. Uh, but, you know, I just look at my – I saved the number this time. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to call them if I haven't called – if they haven't called me. So, you know, I, you know I'm you know, i stage five clinger in you guys now. I'm just – I'm the one calling, you know, okay. saying you up. You're here? That's good enough. Um, all right. I do want to get your thoughts on uh, the college football world and its implosion over the last week or so here. Texas and Oklahoma are leaving for the SEC. Um, what what happens next? Like, what where does the Big 12 go from here? Do you think it falls apart completely? Do you think they're able to pick up pieces from the AAC or the Mountain West and survive? Like, what what's the domino effect here in college football? So I think it's a bit of both. They are going to try and pick up pieces. I've talked to a few people around, and they, they, they don't intend to, to fold, obviously. But what we're going to end up with is survival of the fittest, right? So any program that thinks that they have any value is trying to get out now. And so what's going to happen is whatever they end up with, they're going to try and merge with somebody else. The Mountain West isn't a bad call, by the way, on that, to create a conference that they hope will be relevant. The problem is I just don't think they will. And, you know, frankly – this is going to – I'm in the minority with my peers. I think this is even going to impact college football playoff situations because, you know, you're looking at a situation now where all of a sudden the SEC is going to be far ahead of anybody else in brand relevance. And I don't think anybody wants a playoff situation that suddenly lets eight teams get in from the SEC. But, you know, frankly, the other side of it is they were building a way to protect a group of five. Well, what's the real difference between the Big 12 and the group of five at that point? So – you know, I expect Cincinnati and Memphis and, and uh, USF, UCF to all try and be poached in this process. I don't think there's going to be much left standing from the group of five either. So I think the long-term answer to your question is, you know, frankly, everybody needs to be looking around trying to figure out how they're going to keep up with the SEC. And the people that hurts the most in my mind isn't just the, the Big 12, it's the Pac-12, because I'm not sure what the Pac-12 can do to remain relevant like they are, like the rest of the conferences. Did this bring us closer to some version of the power conferences going for their own autonomous organization? Yeah, and I don't know that that's the worst thing at this point, right? Like, I mean, we've already set up a system where realistically most teams don't have a shot at the national championship. 
And the, as much as people will roll their eyes at the big three process, the, I should say the division three process, I mean, at least those schools figured out how to maintain and compete against each other. I think, yeah, the, there's a real step here that's moved forward that over the next five years is going to have everybody looking at it and saying, why do we need the NCAA? What purpose does the NCAA have? And, you know, that, that on the one hand is great for college football, where it becomes a struggle, I think, is for the rest of college athletics. You know, I've, I've worked really closely with some Big 12 schools to try and help their, save their swimming and diving programs over the last 18 months. And, you know, it's those sorts of programs that I, I look at and say, man, if we end up with a world where we have mega conferences, I just wonder what happens to every Olympic sport that is sitting there trying to find a way to stay alive. And maybe a lot of people don't care, but that's the way a lot of kids go to school. So uh, I think the future of college athletics as a whole changes because of this. Wait, what did you say? Did you did you just say you were helping saving swimming and diving programs? Um, yes, and I don't know how to swim, so I understand the irony in that. Uh, but I do, <laughs> I do believe that you know what what we've seen. You know, Iowa being a good example. Iowa posted the other day reminding everybody that their school was the inventor of the breaststroke, and they had a picture of their gym. What they forgot to tell everybody is that they're they're currently fighting a lawsuit for Title IX violations for eliminating swimming and diving. So it's funny, like schools use the, these. These non-revenue generating sports, as people call them, but they're really, they do generate revenue. They use Olympic sports to try and justify their graduation rates and what they're doing for student athletes. When in fact, those are the programs that they're looking to cut to save, you know, less than an assistant coach's salary on a football program. So, you know, I'm a big fan of giving as many kids opportunity to chase out the dream and go to school as possible. So I've been trying to help swimming and diving. So wait, can you, can you tell us like what, what you've done? Like what, what is, what is, what has been the Jason Fitz contribution to saving a sport he can't actually compete in? Uh, so I've, I've done some outside the lines work, uh, some reporting on it. And then uh, I've actually sat down with the administration at Michigan state, for example. Um, and, and uh, the best thing I can do is provide platform for kids that have information and, I think what a lot of people don't realize is these kids that play secondary sports are many of them are incredibly intelligent. And the, you know, in the Michigan State example, some of them are attorneys. So they've been fighting for a long time to try and get Bill Beekman, the athletic director, who may or may not still be the athletic director there much longer at Michigan State, to give them honest answers. And, and I may not know much about the sport itself, and I'm never going to pretend to be a swimmer, but I know dishonesty when I see it. And Bill Beekman has been dishonest through the entire process. So well, I may not have the knowledge on the sport. I certainly have the platform to call Beekman out, and I've done it multiple times with Michigan State, and I'll keep doing it. Like, I don't mind if – I don't mind in the, in the grand scheme of things if somebody comes out and honestly says, you know what, I just don't care about this sport. We don't want to spend the money. That's one thing. But to say, well, you know, times are tight and we can't really afford this, when in fact what you're doing is trying to eliminate a program so that you can build a different football practice facility across the campus – just be honest about this. So, you know, I, I consider myself at this point like an honesty accountability police for athletic directors that are, you know, flinging you-know-what against the wall to see what sticks. Jason, as someone who worked as a uh, Division One women's basketball play-by-play broadcaster for the better part of a dozen years and watched it happen with travel budgets and the like for all that time, amen. Uh, and, and good mic drop uh on all of that hope the work uh, continues to be fruitful for you and for the athletes uh switching gears just a little bit here we've got uh, john gruden opening up raiders camp and talking plenty about the defense and what he expects out of this young secondary etc cetera, etc cetera. do you share his optimism for the young players on that raiders defense so yes and no let me say it this way like we have to be optimistic right now right uh, where I share some optimism is obviously the teaching methods before weren't working. And 
And I do genuinely mean teaching methods. Like, I think at some point when you see guys constantly confused on the field about where they're supposed to be and who lines up, you've got to look at it and say, okay, what's the communication like? And I worked with Bart Scott last week, and uh, he was talking a lot about uh, on ESPN. He was talking a lot about uh, communication and how COVID was a real impact in his mind because, frankly, every single shift that offense makes creates situation A, B, and C for him as a linebacker, right? Well, if he's not getting those calls, he was a teammate of Ray Lewis, and he said, you know, the great thing is that he always had Ray saving his butt. Ray would look over and say, no, 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 you're doing this, and, and Ray saved him constantly. I, we haven't had necessarily for the Raiders, I think, that guy that's been in the system long enough and known the system long enough to help with that. So that's why I think Casey Hayward plays a big part of what they're looking to do moving forward. But realistically, this comes down to study habits and teaching habits. I mean, I expect this Raiders defense in the first month of the season to have mistakes because you have a bunch of young players still learning how to be professionals in a new defense. So the question to me is what do they look like by week eight, by week ten? The one thing I would preach to Raiders fans is a little bit of patience. We're used to a team that starts six and two and ends eight and eight. I could see a slow start for the Raiders because they're trying to figure all of this out and then a better finish than we expect. I still think they're a playoff caliber team, but that's going to come down to the ability of young players to learn in this system quickly and the ability of Gus Bradley and that staff to teach in a way. You know, Jonathan Abrams needs to be taught in a way that he reacts to, and at some point that wasn't happening. Now that lies partially at the feet of the player, but it also lies partially at the feet of the communicator. So I, I think there's optimism if we believe communication can be fixed. And if we don't believe that today, then we're never going to believe it. If I tell you the Raiders are going to finish 8-9 and and miss the playoffs, do you prefer they start 6-2 and and blow it, or they are bad early and finish 6-2? and Oh, bad early and finish. Uh, because the thing of it is, it's the end of the season sticks in our head. Like, I, I see this with so much love as a lifelong diehard Raiders fan. We are talking about this team this year like they're coming off of Jamarcus Russell in 3-13. and Like, th- this is an 8-8 eight and eight football team that it absolutely was at the footstep minus a couple of terrible breakdowns in the playoffs. Like, I don't think there's any reason to think that in a seven-playoff, a 17-playoff per conference that the Raiders shouldn't have the expectation to be a wild-card team. And we're talking about them like they're hot garbage. It's going to be a top-ten pick in the draft. Like, I, I feel like the Raiders are, are looking at most likely, in my mind, a 9-8, and eight, maybe a 10-7 and seven season. But that'll be good enough in a 17-game season to get them into the playoffs. If they finish strong, then we'll look at it and say, finally, everything clicked, and these guys have it moving forward for next year. So at least there's optimism. With that optimism, is it that this offense is at such a level that even if the defense needs a month, two months to put it together, that this offense can get it done and cover up some of those flaws? Yes, but I will also say not in the way fans want. Like, uh, this is my annual reminder that John Gruden has two things he loves to do offensively that we really need to focus on. Number one is yell at the quarterback, and number two is minimize possessions. And that's all the way back to Tyrone Wheatley and Charlie Garner and Tim Brown and Jerry Rice. Like, that was an offense that, as explosive as it was in scoring, was an offense that liked to manage possessions, and that's what this offense is going to do this year. Like, I think the one thing people have to understand is that Henry Ruggs is not going to get as many touches as C.D. Lamb because the offense isn't designed that way. So, realistically, Gruden, especially in the beginning while he's trying to figure out his offense, would love a situation where every drive takes 8 to 10 minutes. And if every drive takes 8 to 10 minutes, then you're looking at a team that even with the best efficiency you've ever seen in your life in the red zone is still going to be scoring in the mid-20s and is going to be down to one possession in every game. The bet is going to be, can you get the ball last with the opportunity to win? I think that's part of how the Raiders are going to be built to win games early on. So the offense, I think, has every opportunity to be 
incredible. But that's going to be incredible if you are into watching Josh Jacobs get the ball a bunch, and then you're watching a bunch of checkdowns, not because Derek Carr is scared of throwing the ball, but because that's the design of the offense that they have. So this is an offense that's going to take five yards at a time, and they're going to be happy holding the ball the entire first half. And you look at it and say, how are we only up 14 to 10 when they only ran eight plays? Like, that's real for how this team could look this year, I think. Are you worried that next offseason the Broncos are actually going to land Aaron Rodgers? No, because the Raiders are going to land Deshaun Watson. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, Look, uh, Deshaun Watson is a bigger wild card than Aaron Rodgers. And for reasons far bigger than anything that we can talk about with the football, since we don't know what Deshaun's going to be doing. Uh, But – I keep saying this on ESPN. He will face deposition in February for 22 different civil lawsuits for sexual assault and misconduct, right? Until we know legally what he's saying, no, I don't think anybody's even going to touch Deshaun Watson. But the minute we do know, he is going to, if he is innocent of everything he's been uh, accused of, he is going to be a hot commodity, and he wants to play for the Broncos. He's 26. What I don't want as a Raiders fan is a decade of watching Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson duel it out in the same division, realizing that you could draft the third-best quarterback of his generation and he would still be the third-best quarterback in your division. And that's real for Raiders fans moving forward. So Aaron Rodgers will kick your butt for a year or two. I can take those lumps. That's fine. What I don't want is to realize that for another generation, I'm going to watch another division rival kick my butt twice every week or twice every season. Well, he is Jason Fitz from ESPN. Jason, as always, we appreciate it. You guys are the best. Have a great week. So. There is Jason Fitz, uh, afraid of the Broncos getting a good quarterback. Also throw in Justin Herbert there, and who knows if the Raiders would even have the third-best quarterback in the division for the next decade or so. By the way, I want to let you guys know, coming on Friday, we are going to have a pair of tickets to see the Rolling Stones at Allegiant Stadium to give away. Tickets are going on sale Friday, but we're going to have a pair for you to win before they even go on sale on Friday and Jared's told me we're going to do something pretty fun with how we're going to give those tickets away. So make sure you're no listening spoilers. Friday. Yeah, okay, no spoilers. Make sure you're listening Friday uh, when we have tickets to give away to go see the Rolling Stones at Allegiant Stadium. Coming up next, our sharp one with that random tennis guy yesterday. It's time to find the sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Steven is back for day three. He won with Brandon Nakashimi winning a random tennis game yesterday. That has nothing to do with the Olympics. Uh, so, Steven, where are you going for your day three pick? I'm going to go across the pond to European soccer. Oh, my favorite. There is a rematch between the Lincoln Red Imps going against the Romanian Railways. Okay. Who do you want? (laughs) The Lincoln Red Imps are looking for revenge, but I'm going to go with EFR Cruz. That's my pick. (laughs) Okay. How do you say that? Um, uh, Cluj, yes. Um, All right. It is a Champions League qualification game, and you have Cluj. Okay. Good luck. That game is at 10.30 this morning. I don't think it's on TV in the United States. So, good luck. If Cluj wins, we will be talking to you again tomorrow, Stephen. Great. Thank you. Have a good day. I oh, love this guy. Unbelievable. What a great pick. When you Listen, when you come on here and pick a soccer game that I'm like, excuse me, that's a great pick. Um, but yeah, CFR Cluj against the Lincoln Redhams. Great pick. Now, some breaking news here. The Golden Knights have made a trade. Nick Holden 
and a third round pick are out. They are headed to Ottawa and coming back is Evgeny Dadanov. Uh, Evgeny Dadanov is a 32 year old winger. He scored 13 goals in 55 games for Ottawa last year. The previous three seasons in Florida, he had topped 25 goals in each season, never got above 28. Uh, so that's sort of what you're looking at production-wise. I will be honest, I don't know much about Evgeny Dadanov. Oh, and his salary is $5 million. I do know that. Uh, but I do see that Dom Lucision of The Athletic just tweeted out, not too sure why Vegas would want this. Dadanov has been falling off a cliff the past few years and was pretty bad in Ottawa, away from the luxury of playing with Alexander Barkov, who is in Florida. So... It's a winger. It's a guy that scored goals. I don't know if this changes much for the Golden Knights, though. Okay, I'm trying to do some calculus in my head here of whether this would be related to another move because I can't see where bringing in a right wing makes any sense no. for this team right now, Tyler. Yeah. Because that 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 is their deepest position when you think they have Mark Stone, they have Riley Smith, they have Alex Tuck. They have three legitimately good right wingers it's the one position like they don't have a third line left winger uh the center depth isn't great and now that holden's gone the defenseman depth might not be great either but that is the one position they don't so i i, I think that's a good call like if they plan to play evgeny dadanoff as a right wing somebody's gonna be on the move or else he's a fourth liner making five million dollars the $5 million is the part that I'm really struggling with right now, right? I mean, we just spent the last 24 hours talking about salary, and I I, I would, I don't want to put this on Kelly McCrimmon to say, did you clear salary to bring in, you know, to re-sign Alec Martinez and bring in Evgeny Dadanoff? That does not seem like the type of move that this franchise has made. So, I mean, yeah. Tyler, what what would be the what would be the companion to this? Would it, I mean, is this... I would. I dare say, does this presage a Riley Smith trade? I mean, it does. But even that, I don't think that defeats your the point you just made. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna get rid of Flurry to clear cap space, and then get rid of Riley Smith, and it means you bring in Alec Martinez and um, Evgeny Dadanov, and I guess you can make one more move. But in that case, it's still not a Jack Eichel type move. Like even if you move Riley Smith now, you, you still are gonna have to move somebody else after that to get Jack Eichel. I think so. Yeah, I'm 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 curious what is happening here because it doesn't feel like they've gotten a whole lot better or fixed the problems with this team by adding Evgeny Dadanov. Also, I realized that Nick Holden was your clear sixth defenseman on this team. Um but subtracting from that group doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me right now either when you just spent to bring back Alec Martinez. So and and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Nick Holden's cap hit was pretty low, correct? Uh, yeah, it was under two. I want to say it was 1.8 or something off the top of my head. I'd have to look that up to make sure. Um, but yeah, it 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 was it, he it was high. If you're trying to if you're trying to be cheap and have hey, this guy's making seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, you'd rather have that. But it wasn't by any means like two, three, four, five million dollars that you had to get rid of. So yeah, it's. I, I will give the Golden Knights the benefit of the doubt. Free agency literally just started. I'm sure there will be more moves and it might make more sense. But as of right now, the moves they have made, it's a little odd. Like, it's a little odd that they would clear space to bring in Alec Martinez mm. and Evgeny Dadanov. So according to Cap Friendly, this move leaves them with $2.5 million of cap space right now with Patrick and Dylan Coughlin uh, still to deal with. So... 
obviously, again, I mean, they trade Florian. They're right up against the cap, at least uh, for the short term here. <laughs> yeah. So curious to see what else they do. We'll, we'll, again, it's early. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt that there will be more. But as of now, seems strange. Seems like a strange addition to add to the position on your lineup that is the strongest. And honestly, even if you get rid of Riley Smith, it still seems like a wash at best if you're getting rid of Smith. For Evgeny Dadanov, but we'll see. Maybe, maybe Jack Eichel's on this team in the next 24 hours.